Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. So, some quick updates, ladies and gentlemen. So, there will not be a comedy show with Dean Del Rey September 18th or 19th. Um, fortunately, Dean Del Rey is okay, um, but he's he is in some pain. He was uh, actually hit by a hit and run uh, car, from my understanding, from what I've heard. And uh, so everybody go and send him some love, wish him better. He's at Dean Del Rey on Twitter and at Dean Del Rey on Instagram. Um, so send him some love. We're going to bring him back once he gets better, hopefully sometime in the spring or early uh, early in the year. So January-ish or February-ish. We're not sure, though. So that's all pure speculation. So with that being said, moving forward, this guest today... Um, you know, it's it's kind of the internet's a, a, a interesting thing, ladies and gentlemen. So you don't always realize um, how how easy it is to bring some cool people together. And uh, this gentleman, I was I I was excited about having on the podcast, um, and then we ended up talking for a few hours after the show as well. Um, had a great time talking to him. We would have talked longer, but I had to go to bed. And uh, so um, this gentleman is the urban farmer of urban farming. So his name is Curtis Stone. You may have heard of him. He's out of British Columbia. I believe this city is called pronounced Kelowna. And uh, this gentleman makes about 75 grand a year on two-thirds of an acre. So um, I had Jean-Martin Forti on. Um, he was one of the first guys I had on when, when I really started getting into growing food. And I, I tried to get Curtis on in the past, but he was super busy. So thankfully, I, I got him on this time. And him and I really hit it off and uh, had a great conversation. Look for You guys should uh, look forward to hearing him again in the future in the sample hour. Um, so you can go to his website and uh, check out his work. So check out his farm. It's greencityacres.com. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. He's at greencityacres. He's on Instagram as well, at Green City Acres. Like his farm on Facebook. It's Green City Acres. And then something else that Curtis started doing, which is awesome, which is great for everybody like me. And if you are also interested in urban farming, um, Curtis has this awesome online course. I actually just signed up for it myself. And there is an affiliate link. So for the first time ever, so I wouldn't say it is a sponsor of the Sample Hour, but it is a, an affiliate so there's going to be an affiliate link. So and there's a link in the show notes. And then if you just go to thesamplehour.com, you'll see to the right above of two minds, you'll see profitable urban farming with a picture of Curtis and a link. So click where it says profitable urban farming. It will take you to, if you want to sign up, it's an affiliate link. And then you can help support the sample hour as well. That's a great option. So just kind of giving you a rundown um, his his website, his training course is unreal. Like when I got it, I, you know, we, we, we talk about it a little bit in the podcast, but then once, you know, and it sounded really good, but once you actually get into it, I mean, he has it broken down. Um, there's 10 modules of business. So not just the production end, but the business end. Um, I think this class is probably worth it, even if you just want to learn business. Uh, Curtis, I don't know if anybody, uh, something I haven't mentioned is his podcast he does with Diego on Permaculture Voices. 
Uh, it's called the Urban Farmer Podcast. If you're just a farm uh, a, a podcast fan, really check out Diego's work. But the Urban Farmer is my favorite podcast I listen to right now. So uh, I definitely would would check it out if I'm your guys. But so I mean, so for for Curtis's website for business plan, it goes over getting started with the course, your customers, your products, the weekly sales plan, the planning plan, the branding, business administration, marketing, the numbers, your team. I mean, he goes over, uh, you know, hiring new employees, letting go employees. I mean, everything you need to run a successful urban farming business is listed on here. Please excuse Tom, ladies and gentlemen. He's pretty excited, my cat. Sorry about that. Um, so everything you need to be a successful urban farmer is in this course um, uh, from the business side. And then when you go to the planning, and so that's just the business side of it. When you go to the production part of it, there's even more modules. Um, and it's going to go over um, what to plant. Um, so, you know, get your land. So how to find your land, infrastructure and tools, what you're going to need to be successful, plot plus bed prep, planting, irrigation, pests and weeding, harvesting, processing, season extension, and then at the very end, graduation. Um, right now, uh, Curtis is even adding more to this. He's he's adding some head cams, um, some videos. It's a one-time fee. Um, there's even a payment plan on there. I actually went with the payment plan. So, I, you know, if, if you guys are serious, if you guys have been enjoying um, – the growing food part of the sampler that I've really been focusing on. Definitely, I, I would highly recommend getting this course. I'm excited about it. Um, you know, this being my first season in with uh, doing urban farming, I'm looking forward to really taking this to the lab in the off season. So the next season, um, we're really set. I mean, there's a lot of things that um, me and who I'm working with, we've talked about just from listening to the Urban Farming Podcast and then taking in our experiences from the season, what we want to do differently. And a lot of that has been influenced by Curtis Stone. So and there's going to be a lot more um, with work, me working with Curtis Stone. So with that being said, I hope that uh, you guys are ready for this podcast. I definitely uh, had a really good time listening to it while I was editing it. Curtis drops a lot of knowledge. So Get a notebook, paper, and pen out. And if not, you know, put on your 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 uh, your listening skills. Open up your listening skills and get ready to learn some stuff. Um, anyways, guys, I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to go to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Go to Permaculture Voices. Check out the Urban Farmer Podcast. Check out Curtis's stuff. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, enough of that, and enjoy the show. Step up time, time to claim something that's real out here, you know what I'm saying? Something that you can live for, you know what I'm saying? The seeds, you know what I'm saying? Time to build, time to step up, yo. I stay at the center of news, the gossip and interview. You can't lose, G. Overstand the rules, see the style can get ruled when you witness the guard of the groove. Saying the shit is smooth to make you move. Show Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. Today, I am super excited. Um, I had wanted to have this guy on for a little bit, but then I'm glad that I waited. Um, I've had our mutual friend on, JM Forti, or Fortier, however you say his French name. It's very difficult to say for us non-French speakers. But awesome guy. Uh, check out his book, um, The Market Gardener. And uh, 
you know, from from checking out JM, he pointed me in the direction of Curtis Stone, and so did uh, good friend Joel Harris. And uh, so if you guys don't know who he is, you need to go to greencityacres.com. Um, he also has a great YouTube page. Um, so if you actually just, I think if you just, is, is, is it just under Curtis Stone, Curtis, for your YouTube page? I'm trying to think off the top uh, of my head. Yeah, for Green City Acres, yeah. Green City Acres on YouTube as well? Yep. Okay. Oh, Green, no, actually, you know what? No, no, no. Um, go to the Urban, uh, search Urban Farmer Curtis Stone on YouTube. That's okay. what I am on YouTube. Got you. You should also follow him, keep up with him on Twitter. It's Green City Acres. Um, also on the IG, so Instagram, which I really need to get hip to, man. That's like the social networking that I suck at, and I'm really <laughs> messing up by not messing with it, man. At Green City Acres on Instagram. So Curtis Stone is a uh, anarcho-preneur, just like Nathan <laughs> and I have said. Um, Nathan Frazier just really started that. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's he's an all-around badass. He's uh, He's got... Um, some online classes that he started. He's he's a soon-to-be published author. Uh, just finished editing his book, which I'm sure was a fun process. And um, so, yeah, welcome to the show, Curtis. Thanks for thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh man, it was it's a pleasure. We were talking about it before. Um, anybody, uh, all my listeners that listen know that. I mean, I've just become obsessed with growing food, and it's it's kind of like interesting for my personal progression because I first started coming into it just wanted to do urban farming because to me it was like it for me it was like you know that's that's actually something that I can do politically because before I just used to bitch about stuff in politics and yeah, exactly. re- realize that I it was just realized after you know the voting for Gary Johnson our last election that it was like man like this is just it's just a joke it doesn't matter what everyone's happy about one percent that's bullshit and yeah. then um cody r wilson when he I, I don't know if you follow him the guy that did the absolutely 3D. yeah, yeah. yeah no, no. when he was on glenn beck and he said this is a political act and he oh yeah his gun. that was an amazing episode yeah and it just made me think you know like growing food like this is a this is a political act and i can actually make a difference and i can actually directly change my community and which is something that you are doing right now and so for for the listeners or for anybody who 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 hasn't started um, growing their own food yet, which I hope they do. I mean, since all my last episodes have really been dedicated to that, um, you know. So I I guess just kind of give a background because I know you were a musician for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, then you were planting trees for a while. So I guess kind of give a background as to how you ended up um, growing food and and just you know yeah. s- just how you got started. Um, yeah, so I, I, I was, I, I've been a, a, a working and gigging musician for many years. Like I, I, I started playing gigs as a musician and I was like 15 or 16 and I pursued that for pretty much all of my adult life until I was close to 30. And, um, and I traveled, I, I studied music composition. I have a, a degree in music composition I, uh, which is a, a degree in uselessness actually. <laughs> um, but, but that's what I did. And, you know, I, I, I moved around, I, I formed a band when I finished music school and I moved to a city called Montreal and I pursued that for, did that with the, with that band that was with them for seven years, we lived in Montreal for six years. And, you know, I, I got into punk rock music when I was 
younger, like when I was, yeah, when I was like 16, I played in punk bands with a bunch of guys. And, and I, you know, I listened to bands like the Dead Kennedys and, and some of these more like political bands back then. And it, they actually tuned me in to a way of thinking that changed my life forever. And it didn't, it didn't really hit home until I was close in like getting close to 30 that, um, you know, I listened to Noam Chomsky and then I started listening to and reading Norman Finkelstein. And I listen, I was just reading these like dissident guys and my political views have changed a lot since then, even though I still value things that Chomsky says, even though I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but, um, it kind of started, it, it was a spark and, Going near the end of my like trying to be professional music career, I'd always been obsessed with geopolitics to some degree. I was just like how you said earlier, like I was always bitching about the problems, always bitching about the world. And I got sick and tired of just being this cynical and negative person because I, I was really interested in self development. I was really interested in becoming a better person and contributing something. It's like, I'm just bitching about the world. What the hell am I actually doing? I'm just partying and doing drugs and playing in a band. And that's my life. I'm just, I'm just a wastoid in the entertainment scene. I, when I really started to object, like look at my life in a, in a third person perspective, I it made me really depressed actually. And so my band was kind of falling apart around, this is around 2008. My band was kind of falling apart and I just, spent a lot of time on the internet and I just was checking out. I, 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 I don't know where it was, but I saw Bill Mollison. I saw these early videos of Bill Mollison and permaculture on online and it led me down a rabbit hole. Like I got into all kinds of stuff. I, then I learned about who John Jevons was and biointensive. And then I started learning about, um, just intensive farming, organic farming, like with Elliot Coleman. And I, yeah. I just, I spent a winter reading books and, and I was like, you know what? This is something that I want to get into because I I, fi- I realized that if you can be a farmer, you can really take charge of of your life. And you know, is a is a combination of realizing many things in the world, like how is how money is created, how politics work. I kind of had the the take the 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 blue pill or the red pill, the matrix moment kind of, yeah. and it led me down a a rabbit hole. And 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 um, I saw how if you can change your life, like what you eat, what you consume, what you produce, you can really have a profound effect on the planet. And so, or on just in your community and the world at large, even. And so I figured, okay, farming is what I want to do. But then, so I, I kind of started to draw a roadmap at that point. This was in 2008. I drew a, a five-year roadmap. I'm like, this is where I want to be in five years. So at the end of this five-year p- plan, so that would have taken me to uh, 2013. I wanted to own land and be a homesteading farmer. And so along the journey to that five-year plan, I left Montreal, moved back out west, did a, a bicycle tour down the west coast where I rode and I was visiting farms and eco-villages and off-grid homesteads and all this kind of stuff. I was very inspired about what I saw, and but more, more inspired about what I did, actually. I was more inspired about the fact that, holy shit, man, myself as a human being, I'm incredibly powerful. Yeah. Like I got, on a, I got on a bike and rode 3,000 miles. And, and I inspired and affected people and the, the, along the entire trip. And by the time I got down to Mexico, I was so totally jacked up on my own energy and what I was capable of that at that point I felt like I could do anything. And so I came back to BC 
And I didn't, I still didn't know, like I was, I wanted to buy land, but I was like, I can't, how the hell am I going to buy land? I couldn't afford it. I worked as a tree planter for nine years so I could make money in the bush. Like it's a very Canadian job. You go out in the bush and you're, you're just basically planting in deforested clear cuts. Yeah. But a, a good planter can make 500 bucks a day, you know, even more sometimes. And so I was, I was pretty good at it. So I could save money. And so I was trying, my, part of my five-year plan was to save money to, bu- to buy land. But, you know, I had a decent amount of money saved, and I still didn't even have enough to put down um, on a mortgage. So I was kind of depressed at that point a little bit, feeling a little discouraged. But then some people turned me on to these urban farmer guys um, doing this thing called spin farming. And I was totally blown away because I... They're, they were claiming that you could make 100000 on an acre. And mm. I thought that was crazy. But I looked into it, and I saw people were doing it. I, I heard about a guy named Paul living in a town called Nelson, which is a very hilly city, and he was running a spin farm by bike. And I was totally inspired by that. And, and basically from there, I just spent a lot of time researching, reading books, and then I just got some land and just – and just went for it. I mean, there's a lot more to the story to that, but that's essentially what got me into farming is in urban farming in particular was sort of by default is like, Hey, I can't buy land, but Hey, there's another way to do this. And so, um, since I've got into urban farming, spin farming was the thing that got me into it, but I've, I've, I've kind of adapted my own strategies. Like spin was sort of a place to start, but I mean, now I, I've written my own book and I have an online course that have, built off that foundation and spin farming is really nothing new as far as organic agriculture intensive agriculture concepts it just has a cool simple framework that um helped me actually and and but now what i'm doing is a lot more intensive than even spin so in in my method of farming a person can do double what spin says so farming in my methods you can do two hundred thousand dollars an acre which is not necessarily scalable to like 10 acres or, or whatnot. It's more like in the acre or less category, but that's kind of the, uh, the, where I am. Yeah. Yeah, the, you, yeah. Yeah. How, so, cause I know, um, so like, cause I know, uh, you know, you spent, you spent a, a little bit of time with JM, like how much did like spending time with JM kind of shift, shift what you were doing or did it kind of just kind of you already had an idea in your head and oh yeah like well we we became friends because of what i was doing like i i was well into my farming career when i met jam like we actually met at a at a conference in montreal we were both speaking and uh we were both we were panel we were both panelists on a on a panel and so we just we became friends so i was well into my okay farming career as i met jam but but you know JM is actually pretty instrumental in my career in the sense that uh, I probably wouldn't have written a book if it weren't for him because yeah. he, he really inspired me to write. Uh, I had him here a couple years ago. Uh, we, we became pretty pretty tight in Montreal. Like we hit it off right away. We spent um, good you know like a, like a day together hanging out, just chatting and stuff. And then we kept in touch. And then I brought him out to BC um, a couple years ago, and he stayed at my place for about a week. And so we really connected then, and he kind of said to me, he's like, dude, you're doing all this speaking stuff. Why don't you write a book? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'd never thought about that. I mean, <laughs> shit, I, 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 I never wrote in high school. I flunked English two, three times. Um, but I know what I'm talking about as far as the context of my, uh, what I'm into. So he yeah. actually he connected me with New Society Publishers, and they were totally stoked. Like It was, a, it was pretty much a slam dunk right away. So that's kind of that's how we're connected. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, because I know that recently you you just went to the no-till, and he preached that a lot in his book, and reading his book and then hearing you talk about that, I didn't know. But I, I think anybody that kind of studies permaculture, I mean, that's that's kind of like the no-till thing. And and I, and um, and and honestly, like uh, we're trying to, we're really trying to emulate you here. I think, um, you know, like we were talking about before, like what we're doing, we're trying to get, I. I mean, I've moved into the city where it would be a cheap place to rent, and then I have a city lot down the street, and it doesn't get a, the best sun. But we're still like, we're still in like year one and getting our plan together. So I, I think it's, I think it, but nobody's really written a book until really you that I think of how to how to turn urban farming because a lot of people talk about urban homesteading, but not like okay, let's do this as a business. Let's do this um to to make money and one thing that you do that's a lot different than people is um selling to restaurants um you know how how long did it take you to develop those relationships with chefs i mean I, i've heard you talk about it a little bit was it mainly you know you just would frequent eat in those those places and then you just were like man i should sell these guys food i can grow better food than this or well it, a little bit um actually the the way it started with with my with selling to restaurants is when I started my farm, like before I started my farm, like the first thing I did, because I, I got this piece of land. It was the first piece of land I developed. It was sort of a, I had to reclaim it. I had to bring in new soil and everything. It was this kind of remediation site. Uh, it was my first farming site. Um, I started developing that in like late July, early August of 2000 and, when is it, 2009. And... Um, so I wasn't really farming at that point, but I was getting all this land ready. And so one thing I did, because I set myself up, I had, I had a good amount of money behind me because I did a big season of tree planting. So I had a cushion of cash to get me through the winter and jumpstart my farm in the next season, which, didn't, was, which wasn't much. Like I started my farm on $7,000. Yeah. But the first thing I did was I, um, I wanted to learn how to make compost. Because, Drew, I really didn't know anything about farming at all like I read books um but I never had a garden or anything as a kid I wasn't I wasn't I didn't grow up around farming or agriculture food I was you know raised like a lot of single mother suburbanite kids in front of a television like I didn't I didn't have any connection to food whatsoever um so I you know I started this composting program so I just I, I went to this ice cream parlor and got all these five gallon buckets they gave them to me and I just gave them to all my friends it was about 20 friends at the time I said, Hey, give me all your vegetable cuttings for the winter and I'll pick them up by my bike once every two weeks or once a week. And so I did that and I was riding around once or twice a week, picking up their scraps. And then the, some of them were saying, Hey, can I give it? I work at this restaurant. Can I give it to the restaurant? I said, okay, sure. And then once I started doing that, I opened this can of worms because it was a lot of work. Like yeah. I was going to, I was going to two different restaurants and picking up their vegetable scraps. But I, I made a connection with them that, you know, they were like, you know, they just talked to me and, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be farming. I, I didn't even really think about selling to restaurants at this point. I mean, I did a little bit, but farmer's markets and CSA was the main thing I wanted to do. Um, but it was just kind of by default, like these chefs were really interested in what I was doing. And I was like, well, you know, I, I'm learning. I don't really know much about farming, but um, I'm happy to work with you and sell you stuff. And so that's kind of how it started. And yeah. then it was in my second year of farming, I made a pretty good connection with a really popular chef out here named um, Chef Bernard Casavant. He's like a 
kind of a celebrity chef in the in West Coast Canada, really helped bring the whole foodie culture and lo using local to the mainstream. And he's been doing it for 30 years. He sought me out in my second year because he, he he's a pretty pretty badass chef and environmentalist. And he was like, I want to buy your stuff because what you're doing is so cool. That's and awesome. I was like, I was like, wow, okay, this guy's awesome. So I I met him and I was nervous as hell because he's this super high profile chef. Like he's on magazines and stuff. And, <laughs> and I was totally nervous, but he was so friendly and so kind and uh, immediately was like buying a thousand dollars of product a week. Wow. It's like, but like we went from my first year doing 500 bucks a week kind of thing um, at farmer's markets and a couple to these small restaurants and then Next season, he's buying like a hundred pounds of greens a week. Like I doubled my operation my second year because of his business alone. And so working with him, all of a sudden there was so many other chefs that started just they heard about me through him. And then it kind of just it just kind of snowballed from there. And so ever since then I've been really connected to the the high-end culinary world out here. That's awesome though. So how did so how did he get hip to you? He was just like in the well, you already said he was into local stuff, and he's like, "This guy has a he. Not only does he grow food, but he delivers it on on his bike." And I'm sure well, that's yeah. He well, I I played the media hard when I started. I I still do. Yeah. Um, that was one thing that you know I was good at as a musician was hyping things. Yeah, and um, like I was often promoting our band and stuff when I was a musician back in the days in Montreal, and so. When I started my farm, I approached it just like I was in a rock and roll band. Like I, I took every opportunity I could to be on somebody's podcast, on their blog, no matter how small it was. I did every form of media that I could. I just said yes to everybody. I, I no longer say yes to everybody, but <laughs> but back then I did because it just I just I just saturated the media with myself, and it really paid off because it got to a point where, like every week I was doing something and then and then then the the media stuff became higher profile like I was I've been on CBC radio so many times I can't even count I've been on the the major mainstream television networks here and um, like so many different media outlets and I think that's how he probably heard of me yeah but it was just kind of just leveraging that stuff to start really but that's good because there's a lot of people though that that's something that they don't do and I think that um and I'm not even like I'm not even the best at it. like I'm I, I'm pretty good at promoting people that I like, but I'm not really good at self promotion all the time. And yeah. I think that and I think you know, ironically, man, shameless self promotion takes people so far. And it's just you know if and, and you just got to do it the right way. And I think and I think that's that's key, man. I mean, don't be afraid to say, hey, I think I'm doing something cool. Like, well, you know yeah, I mean? and well, especially when you're when you know what you're doing is is valuable yeah especially when you know you're growing food that's good for the soil and it's good for people and it's good for the community um you don't have to bullshit anybody and and you know when i when i started uh at first i was a little hesitant because i i'd never i i at this point you know when i started believe it or not i was very anti-capitalist believe yeah. it or not my first, even second year of farming, I was, I grew up as a pretty hardcore socialist, like yeah. super into Marx and Trotsky. And um, I became an anarcho capitalist or libertarian. I'm 
you know, I, I think anarchism is libertarianism fully realized. So I don't yeah. really identify as a libertarian. I'm more of an anarchist. Yeah. Uh, if I had to label myself, I'd prefer not to really. But I'm going to label it, you anarchopreneur because yeah, I want to make that term cool. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with that. But, um, you know, I went through a, a transition of um, cognitive dissonance, discovering that um, through capitalism, I was changing more people's um, perspective and bringing more joy people's lives through uh, the vehicle of business yeah. than I ever had through preaching ideology that I'd read. And that's when I started to shift to a, a different way of seeing the world. And I, for me, I, I, I call it uh, peeling back the layers of the onion of bullshit. Yeah. I, ke I, I kept pulling back layers and layers and layers and discovering, wow, you know, this capitalism stuff is pretty cool. Like when, when, when you look at real capitalism, I'm talking, you know, private ownership and win-win uh, voluntary negotiations and agreements. I'm not talking about crony capitalism or state capitalism because that's what we actually have in the world. But, you know, the, just, just by me going out and producing goods of value that people need and and having these interactions that are based on economic win-win is a very fast way to position yourself in the heart of your community because you are bringing value to the community. And uh, whether people agree with my personal ideology or not, because, you know, frankly, a lot of people think I'm, I'm crazy with the way the things <laughs> that I think. But that has never deterred my ability to provide value to my community. You know, yeah. um, a lot of people go, yeah, Curtis, you and your crazy anarchist ideas, you know, but, but hey, at the end of the day, here's a great farmer who is providing value to us. And so I've, I've, always, I've found that business is a great vehicle to connect with people. Well, yeah. And I think too, I mean, just even so if anybody, and I forgot to say that at the beginning of the podcast, that was one thing I want to say, anybody that hasn't checked out Curtis's podcast with Diego and Permaculture Voices, definitely check it out. I think you guys are up to 22 episodes right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they're all super good. I'm on, I think I'm on episode 14. And uh, even just to hear the way, it, 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 what, what I'm really impressed with, and it's something that I really need to do personally, because like I, I have many hats, many irons in the fire. And uh, it's just the way that you have really um, I, I put a dollar sign on your time. And I think mm -hmm. the, the way that you clearly value your time more than anything else, and then in the, and then it's it's just the way it's it's even shown to shift the way that you farm stuff because it's it was um you know recently you just posted a picture of you in like your first year just biking away with a bunch of bales of hay yeah and uh, you were like man I would never waste my time doing that stuff now yeah and it's but it's all part of the journey in reality but I think totally. I think now what um what the way you talk about it now the way you view your time and it's and also I think too when you're talking about how much you realized how powerful of a person you could be um I think the way that you say okay what is going to benefit me and not just me but more people w with the way I use my time and mm -hmm. it's it's you know it's it's 
It's writing your book, focusing your energy on your book, focusing on your online classes that 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 affect a lot of people. But not only that, it's it's also more. Um, I I just think it's it's just cool to see like the evolution. Like it's it's clear like just in the way you you talk about it to hear you talk about how doing this farming business has helped you evolve and grow as a person. And um, and now it really is a businessman because it, it went from being somebody that was really green and being a socialist to now being this really savvy businessman. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's cool to see. And, and, and I guess, you know, to, to really turn this into a question is um, like, what do you think was, was really account for that? Do you think it was like burning out to exhaustion outside and, thinking like, hey, there, there needs to be a better way? Or is it just kind of really kind of taking like that first, uh, that, you know, observing while you're, while you're doing sort of thing like that, really that, um, that one of the first, first uh, really skill of permaculture that they really harp on uh, with, with, with observing, if that makes yeah. sense. Oh, absolutely. Observe and interact. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was, it was all of them. It was, uh, there was never really one thing. It was, Definitely the fact that I had suffered through extreme burnout, like for many years in a row. Um, I worked so hard that I just collapsed, like physically collapsed on multiple occasions. You know, working a hundred hours or more a week and barely eating, you know, being single at the time and not really looking after myself as much as I should. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. It's like, you know, here's this organic farmer who's running a uh, farm by bike who's barely feeding himself because he doesn't have time and he's addicted to energy drinks. Like it was, <laughs> you know, it was brutal. I was crushing like two Red Bulls a day. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was hard. It was very, very hard. But the, and then I was also doing all these things that were so pointless, like all these tasks on my farm that were so pointless when you really look at what needs to be done. And, you know, that I, around that time, uh, a mentor of mine kind of put me in, put this, I, this Pareto's law principle idea in front of me, this 80, 20. Yeah. It's like focus on the 20% that yields the 80%. And then, and, and th this, this principle exists everywhere in nature. I find it, it, at least in the human, on the human, in the human ecology, which I believe humans and our marketplace is, is a form of nature and a form of a ecosystem. Absolutely. And, and um, you know, 20% of your customers are 80% of your business, hands down. So what, once I started learning, just looking at everything through Pareto's principle, I immediately started to leverage everything I did so much better. And I was wasting way less time on bullshit things that didn't weren't really that important, like biking up, T taking three hours of my day to go and get seven bales of straw for a compost. Um, totally unnecessary. It, it looks cool. I'm glad I have the story. But, you know, it was nuts. Like, I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And I was growing a lot of crops. You know, these are things that Diego and I talk on the sh show about a lot. And things that, you know, I've, I've really put into my online course and my book is, like, you know, focus on the things that have the high yield. And, and especially with urban farming and so it isn't necessarily um applicable to all forms of farming like so jm fortier is farming on an acre and a half and there are some crops he doesn't grow too like he doesn't grow winter squash or potatoes 
And, but, you know, you've got to go down the line and look at, okay, what's the smaller you go, you have to cut things out. So I, I've created a system called the CVR, the Crop Value Radiant System. Uh, I write about this in my book. And it's basically, there's, there's five characteristics. There's um, yield per square foot, price per pound, um, length of the season, um, popularity, and how like how many months you can grow it and so you basically rate everything on one point so it's like okay what's the yield per square foot here and i I set these minimums and so basically what you do with this system and I, i i this is in like the first part of my book that's coming out in november is it's like okay there there's no you can't just blanket apply this to everything and say um this, like, say radishes, for example, will score a five out of five on the CVR, but they might not score that for you in your area. Yeah. So it's basically a systems approach to thinking about what has value in each area. And so that's the one thing that I try to do with my students is show them, um, students or apprentices or whatever people I consult for, is make them understand the process of thought opposed to just giving people a quick handout like this is how you this is what you do because everything doesn't always work in the same place right so you want to understand the approach so that you can customize it to your your farming experience or whatever you're doing and so that was kind of one thing or a few things there that totally changed my experience in farming and and I went from farming I started on a half acre I grew it incrementally for the first three years. And then in my fourth year of farming, I quadrupled my operation overnight because I merged with a farm, uh, a friend of mine who, was, who had far- been farming for a year previous to that. And so we went up to two and a half acres. We had eight staff all together. And the farm was huge. Like for our style of farming, it was huge. Two and a half acres is a lot of land when you're growing in 30-inch beds and you're packing a lot of production in. Like our farm was producing more than 10 to 15 acre farms. Wow. And we, we had so much stuff that we saturated the market. And, you know, at the end of the day, we weren't really making any money. Like I, that year I worked, more, I worked the same amount of hours they did in my first couple of years and it was torture. And yeah. so it, it was after that year I realized, okay, something's got to change here. And basically I came up with this, with this CVR rating system because I dumped all of our crops that we grew that year into a spreadsheet and I sorted them by uh, gross profit. And I discovered on two and a half acres, there was 10 crops that made 80% of the income of the farm and they were grown on a quarter acre of the land. Wow. And so I was going, whoa, this is crazy. Because with that year, we also had this crazy hailstorm in the middle of summer that we, we had about $30,000 of crop damage. But all the urban plots were safe. And so for about, there was a three-week period where the farm was really re- in a regeneration period um, where the, the ur- if we didn't have the urban land, we would, we would have had three weeks of very, very little income. But because we, had, we were diversified by location and, and diversified by crops and like little microclimates that exist when you have a multi-locational farm, that, that carried the farm for three weeks. And, you know, looking at this thing going, holy crap, man, 10 crops make 80% of the income on this farm and they're grown on a quarter acre of land. So going into my fifth year of farming, I was like, okay, screw everything else. 
I, I ditched my CSA. I stopped doing a CSA. I focused on 15 crops and I stopped growing everything else. And I focused on, uh, put more of my energy into restaurant markets because they were there. Yeah. Like, and I, I, I don't try to tell everybody like, you know, only grow for high end restaurant markets. That's not, that's not what I, what I tell people. What I'm trying to tell people is grow, go the path of least resistance, yeah. grow for the market stream that is the easiest for you to pursue and wants to buy your stuff and don't discriminate because my socialist background wanted to discriminate against high, high end restaurants. And it wasn't until about my third or fourth year where I said, screw this socialism garbage. <laughs> if these, if these, these high end restaurants want to buy my stuff and they want a premium price, I'd be an idiot not to sell it to them because somebody else is going to sell it to them. So I might as well sell it to them because they're begging me for it. So, so that's kind of that kind of started a chain reaction and, and change of thought too, and political outlook as well. But you know, that's that's kind of anarchism what, came out. Totally, that's where the anarchism came out, and that's where I started making a hell of a lot more money on my farm <laughs> and working a hell of a lot more hours and just having a far better quality of life. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome, man. Um, I was gonna, man, I was just gonna ask you something, and then I a, a second thought came into my head screwed it up i just drew it up curtis uh you know so so one thing um i kind of and i do want you to to kind of do a pitch towards the end for for your online class because i think it's uh great value i would like once i get some time i'd like to to sign up and take it myself um but um yeah. So, so as you were saying, you know, you, you started, so what, I guess, you know, when you kicked out your socialist, a lot of like, I don't want to say principles, but in a way they kind of were, but mainly beliefs, like what else, because I know that you came in as, as uh, you know, cause your farm too. And I, this is what I want to talk to you about. Sorry. So because you only do this on your bicycle um, with your farm, like, did your motivations for still using your bike, has that changed at all? Like, your reasons yeah. behind that? Well, yeah, just out of practicality. Like, we still do. We, we have a small truck, um, like a, a three-cylinder <laughs> Japanese import truck. It's tiny. <laughs> it's, it's smaller than a Beetle. Um, no, they, they haven't. They, they, the principles haven't changed, but the reason behind them has changed. Yeah, that's what uh, I meant to say. Yeah, like, I, the reason I at first wanted to do um, everything uh, by bike on my farm was a response to climate change. Um, my opinions have changed on climate change, actually. <laughs> and I don't want to alienate myself to my audience either because I'm still a, a very hardcore environmentalist in the sense that I have a deep respect and passion for sustainable energy sustainable ag you name it i think Um, i think i just i just don't i've just i've just dissented from the whole religion yeah the whole religion of climate change and that government is the only solution for climate change and that so that's that's where i've um left that camp but 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 i'm still motivated to do everything on our farm most of our things on our farm by bike because for one it's practical it's good it's cheap it's great exercise a great quality of life it's also badass marketing People love it. Um, yeah, we we enjoy good. it. I mean, it's faster. Like most of our customers are downtown, and I, our farm is downtown. So to do our to do, we have what, seven or nine nine restaurants we deliver to downtown on week on a week to twice a week, and 
uh, the rest of them are in the outskirts, which we use the truck for, but we do them by bike downtown for the ones or the ones that are downtown. And it takes a quarter of the time to do it by bike than it does by truck. So it's just practical, right? It just, it just makes sense for, for the context of the situation. And well, that's the and thing. And how big is Kelowna, by the way? Because I think just for listeners that aren't familiar, I think like as an American from the Midwest, the only big city I know of in BC is really Vancouver. So um, yeah, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big town. It's not a big city. It's a big town. I would compare it to um, Spokane, Washington. Okay. Uh, maybe. What do you think the population is? Oh, the population is like. 180,000 maybe. Okay, so yeah, so that's like uh it's kind of well, it's a little bit smaller than like I mean I I only think as big as Ohio. So, a little bit smaller than Akron. Uh Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I've never been to Ohio. Um yeah, it's, de- it's a decent size yeah, someday. It's it's a decent sized town. Like it's it's uh it's got a downtown core. It's very spread out because it's in a big valley. But it's it's an agricultural hub. It always has been. Like it, awesome. we have we have an incredible growing climate here. It's one of the best I've ever seen in the world, to be honest. Uh, the fact that we have a little bit of a winter is a good thing. You know, the the challenge in Vancouver is you know you're on that west coast. You don't really get winter as the rest of Canada does. Yeah. Um, it's just rainy in Vancouver. It's you know starting now until March. It's just raining. And so your soil, you don't really get this reset. Like, you know, you get a bit of snow, you get, get some cold, you go below freezing for a while, it's a reset on your soil. It kills pests, it kills disease, and it's, it, it's, a, it's a fresh start. If you don't get that, like in, in California is a similar thing. If you don't get that reset, those pests and diseases don't really go away. And so you, you're often fighting things harder than you do here. And so Kelowna, we get a bit of a winter. It's still pretty mild. Like it's we might only have 30 days total out of the year that are, you know, a little bit below freezing, but it's enough to, to have that reset. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, in your area too, it is kind of, uh, now is it, uh, because it gets really, it gets really hot too. For yeah. Canada. Yeah. Well, we're, we're in a high desert. We're, we are like in the summertime, we're as hot as, San Joaquin Valley in California in Southern California like we're hot we get you know 110 Fahrenheit in the summer for periods of time and and it's and it's gnarly too because we get really long days here right like we're we're far enough north that you know the 20 days on the shoulder of the summer solstice we have 18 hours of daylight oh wow you know it's so we get a lot of daylight and it's hot and it's dry here. Like we don't, we only get two more inches of annual rainfall than uh, Southern California does. We're, we're in a, a, a desert. It's a dry desert. We do have a lot of natural water around us though. Like we have um, some really nice lakes. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're getting less snowfall and less rainfall each year. So it's, it's becoming a little bit more extreme, but it, it is a very nice place to grow food. It's a total agricultural hub. Now, with your system, because um, I know you're heavy into irrigation, so and I and and I'm asking just because I'm I'm taking advantage of having you on here. I think in Ohio we probably get about close to forty inches of rain a year. Yeah. Would you? I mean, I'm guessing. So, because one thing for me personally is just irrigation. It's like we get so much rain that it's like a mm-hmm. tricky thing in my in my in my head. Like, 
I feel like I should be focusing more on catching water or harvesting yeah. water than than irrigation. But I think definitely um, listening to you and your climate, I'm like, yeah, I feel like irrigation's a no brainer. It it kind of really goes back to what you were saying about your food too, in the sense of um, you know you got to figure out what crop works for your climate, sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah, in your climate, I mean, it's the same in uh, Quebec and Ontario. They get a lot of annual rainfall. So, you know, like JM doesn't have irrigation on his farm. He has these like mobile sprinkler lines he can move around. Yeah. But like this this year, he they, I don't think they've watered once because they've had so much rain. Uh, out here, it's a totally different story. So it, it's all about customizing what the best um, thing for your situation is. Having said that, um, agriculture is a man-made creation, right? Yeah. And uh, it doesn't exist in nature. Even, you know, even in the permaculture sense, it doesn't exist in nature. There is no agriculture in nature. So let's face it. It's a man-made creation. We control it. And I'm a big fan of having proper irrigation systems because it just makes your life easier. It makes yeah. your crops more dependable. If you're, if you're in the summer and it's bloody hot, and you're scrambling to make sure everything's watered on your farm, you're causing yourself a lot of stress, and you're stressing your crops, and you can potentially have huge failures through that. So for me, Even it's, it's like it's, a backup plan. Yeah, it's worth, it's worth the investment for me. I mean, But at the same time, I'm in a, an extremely dry desert. So, um, you know, for me, it's... It, if you you just it's a, can't it's a no do it. brainer yeah there's you no have way to have yeah. it here i tried it in my first year i mean the one the one thing that the the spin farming guides don't get into is irrigation like they don't and that's because wally the creator of spin uh, who is it was a mentor of mine for for at least two years um he does in, in his climate in saskatoon um saskatchewan canada he doesn't have to irrigate yeah. he can hand water things and when I started, I just kind of did what he did. I was using DIY stuff like Home Depot sprinklers, and I was going around hand watering stuff. And I'm like, this is nuts because it came into July. <laughs> and it's like we get a bit of rain in June, and then there's no rain until now. Like now it's raining here. It's end of August. But we have like two or three months where there's no rain here. So that's crazy. So I, I, I remember I was running around hand watering things and I'm just looking looking at the time and I'm like man I'm spending like four hours a week hand watering this is lame <laughs> not an effective use of time so I'm all about uh systematizing things and focusing on your time and your labor and for me it was things like hand watering or cranking a salad spinner like the uh, turning compost by hand these are not things that humans need to do no. like their hu human human labor is so much more valuable and can be can be used in such better leveraged ways in my opinion that doing those things is just not it's not economical yeah that was something that i've kind of because i i mean i turned my whole backyard into um for what i had it was excuse me when i got the house like i, I didn't realize because it was covered in snow half my backyard is blacktop so I'm still trying to figure out what exactly if I'm going to do anything with that. And then, um, but the other half was actually pretty good. And um, I just built some rows. Um, and then I, I had this compost pit 
that I kept throwing stuff into, but I really didn't have time to turn it. So I was like, well, I should probably just get worms. Yeah. Worms will compost this stuff for me. And I, and it's, it's really just really focusing on more passive systems. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that I think is, is the thing that really points out too with, um, just how you've evolved as a business person, because I think, you know, when I, when I, when I listen to you talk on the podcast, it's like, man, it's like, how could I make my farm more, um, more, more, you know, turnkey like McDonald's? Yeah, totally. Well, you know, for me, it was when I, um, graduated from being a socialist and got over that whole nonsense, (laughs) um, I started to seek out, um, at first a lot of, and I, I've always been interested in mentors, at least when I started farming, uh, my early mentors were all farmers, but then I started to hang out with other business people, entrepreneurs that yeah. really influenced me. And so I was starting to think about, um, the farm as a business, not just as a farm. Cause it, it, at first it was so about like, I'm pedal powered, I'm organic, I'm against this, this, this is all this like stuff that's like pretty hardcore but it was like at the at the at the foundation there wasn't really much there as far as business and so starting to talk to other entrepreneurs that were in the tech industry and I I have a lot of friends that who who've made millions in the tech industry and you know in that scene it's all about passive and creating systems to leverage your time and labor and duplication and yeah absolutely absolutely and so it was a lot of that influence that really changed my uh the way i looked at my farm um having said that like i'm not trying to turn my farm into a multi-million dollar operation though i i think i probably can can there's there's (laughs) there's some ways i can do that um but it was kind of just like thinking like, okay, how do I leverage my time just so I have more time for myself or my family or my friends or whatever it is. And so it's like things like turning compost, a total waste of time. I found, by, I found out by accident a way to make compost, good compost, without turning it ever. And it was just a friend of mine was over here. I used to get him to – he used to come and visit me once a summer and he liked to come and turn my compost piles. and so. Is this something you like to do? And <laughs> so it was, you know, great friend to have, right? Yeah. Um, and so he would come and do it, and but I, I would tell him, I'm like, hey, don't don't turn this pile because that one's done. It just that just needs to sit now. And so he put a black tarp over it just to remind himself not to turn it. And we kept that tarp. I just forgot about that tarp, and it stayed on there for like a month. And one day I was like, oh, geez, why is this on here? pull the tarp off, I noticed that all the worms had come to the top of the pile. And now I had like a four by like a four, a, a four foot cu- a four cubic foot bin of pure worm castings, because we tarped it. And that's awesome. that, so that's a passive dis- thing I discovered is that if you if you want to make aerobic compost, you can do it statically by stacking your, you know, just the same old thing you've heard before, like three parts brown to one part green in layers in your compost and then once it gets to a certain point you water it down introduce some old compost this is the way to accelerate it i just did this by just discovery but you you can bring in a a couple shovelfuls of old compost with those worms wet down that compost pile tarp it and leave it there for three weeks those worms will consume that pile and multiply themselves in in that time 
And so that's how you can do it now. I mean, but for me, the compost thing isn't, that was another thing too, just in general, was when I really looked at the amount of time I spent on making compost, even doing it in the, that technique that I'm just describing to you, it's not even economical. Like I, my farm needs inputs, right? Like yeah. urban agriculture needs inputs. It's the reality of it. We're not in a situation where I, I can have a closed loop fertility system, right? That's just not what I have. I have a third of an acre that I'm farming on over five different plots. I need inputs. So I buy, or all of my inputs are organic, but I have to buy inputs. So I buy, I buy a composted turkey manure, which is my main dry fertilizer, and then I also buy compost. I can't make enough compost for my farm. Yeah, no, I, that was something that um, reading JM's book became pretty clear. Like 40, he uses, what, 40 tons a year? And it was, uh, and he's on two and a half acres. So it's even, yeah. even like we, we've been getting, um, we get our compost from a horse farm because maybe because it's free, but I, I think we need to, we'll eventually need to step it up because I doubt that, I mean, there's still seeds in the compost and everything. Oh well, yeah, like that's that. why, that's why I don't use stuff like that anymore. Yeah. So I too think, much of a hassle. yeah. And I think it's just a natural evolution too. I think it, it goes from, you know, I think something that you said earlier really kind of stuck, stood out was, you know, you don't advocate people to, to sell to restaurants. You just advocate people to pretty much get in where they fit in. And I think that, yeah. you know, starting out, you know, I think in any business, you know, I, I'm not a fan of bank loans. I, I know you're not being mm -hmm. an anarchist for sure. I mean, I, I think banks are inherently evil most of the time. And, uh, you know, not to get too political, but I just did. Mm -hmm. So, but I think, you know, for any any sustainable business approach, I think, you know, get start out where it doesn't cost you much money so yeah yeah oh yeah like starting your you know it's a nice thing to talk about for me for people to get value out of like in my book i mention a few different methods of finding finance banks are the last one i mentioned and i don't even mention government programs i actually originally when i wrote the book i did put i did make a mention of government programs in there but i was like you know i'm deleting this because I don't personally advocate this, and I'm not going to put anything that I don't personally advocate in my book. I personally think farmers need to get off welfare. Yeah. Farmers, farmers have become one of the biggest welfare collectors in the world, or at least in America. Like the average income of a farmer is negative fifteen hundred dollars, according to the USDA. Like that's insane. Yeah. Um, so farmers need to get off welfare. So I mean, at the same time. You know, I don't. I don't think people are immoral for taking government programs. It's just like if you're if you were in Auschwitz and the Nazis gave you food to eat, you're not a sellout for taking the food. Yeah. Like I, I you know, <laughs> but but at the same time, I I don't think I think that it's important that farmers learn to build resilience outside of um, government subsidy. So I mean, great things today are in tech. I'm for crowdfunding is an amazing way to get money. I've got a, 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 a protege of mine who's, who's started a crowdfunding campaign. He came to my farm and uh, he, he paid me for my time, consulting time, and he came and he, I let him do some filming on my farm and he's developing a farm of his own and he's ma he made a, a pretty badass video about what he wants to do on his farm. And he's getting all kinds of money from it now. He's bankrolling his farm himself. That's awesome. So crowdfunding is a great way. There was those those really cool chicks down in uh, what's it called in Florida? Um, there are these two girls. 
excuse me, who run an urban farm and they put, they got like half naked and put together a calendar together on their farm and they sold like so many copies. <laughs> um, it was ridiculous. Tallahassee, Tallahassee, Florida. Um, you know, the, the other, other way to find funding is, you know, look at the, with this kind of farming, if you're farming on a sub acre basis, like less than an acre, you don't need a lot of capital. Like I started my farm on 7,000 bucks. You know, if, if if you can find some people that really believe in what you're doing, to go get to go borrow a thousand dollars from your uncle, maybe a thousand dollars from your grandmother, a few places here and there, you don't need a lot of money. Yeah. You know, if you've got some experience growing, start a small CSA just to get, say, five grand. You know, you don't need a lot of money to start these kind of farms. Cause the the the, the major investments you have are things like a walk-in cooler some kind of soil working machinery um, and some kind of transportation vehicle and maybe a nursery. Those are like your four things that you really need that are the, your biggest cost. The rest of the stuff you can find for cheap. You can get old tools. You know, it's good to have better tools as you go, but to start, you don't need to spend that much money. And, yeah. you know, I, I spent seven grand when I started and I made 22,000 my first year and I doubled it every year after that. So, uh, you know, hit to a certain point, you can't just double to infinity, but, <laughs> but you know, it, it's, it's totally, you start with what you need and then, and then go from there and upgrade as you go. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, that's a great way. And that's what we try to do. I mean, I, um, I mean, just personally, so, because, you know, I, I wanted to, it was like, I was like, man, I'm not going to till because I like, I w went into permaculture, but then like, really listening to you and just like hearing you talk about, you know, look, I don't till all the time, but if I'm going to set something up, a plot of land, this is going to save me a ton of time. You know, I am going to do some damage to the soil, but I'm going to add so much to the soil that it's going to offset it. So my grandpa ended up having this, this tiller, um, this awesome craftsman. And he, I asked him if he still wanted it. He said, yes. And then he was like, Hey, I'll sell it to you for 150 bucks, which Brand new, it'd probably be like eight hundred dollars or something like yeah, that. Yeah, those old craftsman tillers are pretty good. Yeah, so I got one of those. I got a a pickup truck from a, a friend for a thousand dollars, and it's it's just like it's it's always been through people that I've known, and I think like that's that's um, I always go back to like this story, Acres of Diamonds. I don't know if you've ever heard it, mm -hmm. but um, basically it's about this guy that wants to go farm diamonds, so he goes and he looks everywhere else. He sells his land and he goes and dies trying to find diamonds. And then the guy that buys his land becomes a millionaire because he had this whole diamond farm on his own land. And, he, and that was the last place he would have looked. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of it. Like, you know, we have so many resources with just our friends and family. And, yeah. and the cool thing about growing food is people really do get behind it and they get super excited when, um, because it took me so long to get my plot ready that I just, I had a bunch of cucumbers. Like that's the mm -hmm. only thing that's like just grown pounds of cucumbers and uh, just been able to give that away. And people are so happy about it. But anyways, Curtis, I had you on to talk about you, not me. So, uh, <laughs> so we're, we're, we're kind of coming up on an hour here. I try to keep, keep these in about an hour. Um, so, you know, I want you to talk about um, your online class because I think it's a great opportunity for people to, to pick your brain. So um, yeah, yeah. If, if you want to have a little pitch. Yeah, totally. So, pitch, so the whole the whole thing with my online course was um is sort of this personal 
thing. Like I, I feel like farming is one of the best forms of dissidence. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't, I, I'm pitching it this way because, because of your audience. Um, basically, what my course is, is, is just a, it's a, everything you would possibly want to know and more about how to run a profitable farm. And it ha, it's limitless in the resources. And so this is where, this is where it departs from a book. Because some people will say to me, oh, you got your book coming out. Um, What's the difference between the book and the course? Well, there's a huge difference because the book can only be a certain amount of pages, whereas the online course is a complete multimedia and immersive experience where I have head cam video footage of every single thing I do on the farm. We have a spreadsheet calculator that calculates everything, how much seed you need for all your crops, how, like when you're going to plant, and, and all this like crazy stuff because all the online world is is it's infinite, like it's limitless in what you can do. So the, co the course is essentially my way of trying to get as many people farming successfully as possible because I believe that farmers can have a profound impact on the world. I believe that we've become a society that is, we're far too dependent on the state and the big institutions that we've become soft. And America was built on hardworking farmers. And Jefferson often references farmers as the, like, the ideal citizen because they're totally self-reliant and independent and build community and, and are resourceful. And, and, and even on my own personal experience, learning how to farm has taught me to do many things. So but I, I suffered for like at least the first three, four years of farming suffered really hard because I worked really hard and I didn't take any breaks, but I, I learned a lot of things and I made a ton of, I made thousands and thousands of mistakes. And so I want to save people these mistakes because I, because I want to see millions of new farmers get on the scene. And I think urban farming has the potential to do that because in, in, in America, there's an average, the average yard space on a suburban home is point two of an acre. So 20% of an acre is the average accumulative square footage of a front and backyard in suburban homes in the US. And it's similar in Canada. In Canada, it's actually a little bit bigger. So that with, with that much land, I'm showing people on a on, that's just a, just a little under a quarter acre, you can grow about $50,000 of produce in that area if you utilize my techniques. So I'm thinking okay, let's get millions of new farmers because there's all these medium-sized towns all over the U.S. It's, it's in fact where most people are. Like, you know, they've got the big population centers, but you, most of America is kind of suburban and peri-urban. So you've got these lawns everywhere. Let's get people farming them, making a living, cr cr building their own sort of self-reliant communities. Like, what happens if we take all these useless lawns that are sitting there doing nothing Getting people farming, getting them get you, once you start growing food, you get to know all your neighbors because they're going to come to you and ask about what you're doing, and they're going to love it, and you're going to make all kinds of friends, and you're going you're going and you're going to build other forms of capital outside of financial capital. And you know, my book and and my course are are mostly focused on showing people how to make a good living, folks how to uh, how to make money on their land, but really what it's about too is building social equity. Yeah. Because you, that's a form of capital that the government cannot steal from you. Yeah. And resources. These are things that government steals your money, right? 
And they can steal your land too in a way, but you don't need to own land to do this. You can get, in our, in our course, we show you how you can get a piece of land up and running in production in a month and have it turning income over 30 days after that. So that's what I want to do. I want to show millions of new people how they can make a living off their backyard or their neighbor's backyard. That's awesome too. And, um, and that was something, that was one thing I really wanted to talk to you about was the importance of social capital, but maybe on the next episode, if I, if I, if I can get you on again, Curtis, Yeah, totally. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely guys go to greencityacres.com. Um, and you can, Check, they, the, the, uh, the course is profitableurbanfarming.com. They can sign profitable. up for free, free videos there and get a, get a sense of what it looks like. Yes. Go to profitableurbanfarming.com. Sign up for the course. Um, and, and, and just like what Curtis said, I mean, like I'm, I'm an advocate of monetizing your lifestyle. So I think, you know, even let's say you, let's say let's, I mean, look, realistically, I, you, everybody can make a living doing it, but even just imagine like, let's just even look low. Let's say you can just pay your mortgage with it. I mean, that's totally. worth it. That's exactly. worth it. And I think, um, you know, the average family that files bankruptcy, the average person that files bankruptcy is usually short about $200 a month. So, I mean, you could easily make an extra $200 a month um, doing that. I know every visit we've made to the farmer's market, um, I mean, I don't think we've had a time where we didn't, and it is like a group effort, but I don't think we've had a time when we've made less than, you know, a couple hundred bucks. So I think, and that's just, you know, from one farmer's market. I mean, there's plenty of ways that you can monetize what you guys are doing. So uh, anyways, Curtis, thank you so much for your time. Everybody follow Curtis on Twitter. It's at Green City Acres on Instagram at Green City Acres. Like his, like his, um, like his farm on Facebook. Um, and, uh, and you know, if friend requests it, maybe he'll, maybe he'll accept you. You never know. I'm just teasing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And we're looking forward to talking Ooh, to you again soon. A lot. Yeah, I'm hot. Like what? Up in your face with the product. No hesitation in the world of frustration. Cause I'm facing a grown man's sports situation. Each time we hit the studio, we lay down laws with no pause. We already belittled the floors. Shit perfection like the ultimate driving machine. We stand lean and always literate what we mean. Brothers don't be overstanding the plans that we be having crushing all these clowns cause it's all about the mic grabbing i'm from the land where the righteous and the rude rest the vernonville will live for life it be the true test step up step up step up step up yeah step up cause time. step up time. Yeah, yeah. step up time. step up yo step up Starts. Now you smell the first sparks of the flame uh. The guards warned me that it's not a game So it's he, so proceed The first seed was dropped when I and I came to rock the spot what? I caught the props when I flocked to the hot jams at the city uh. The shorties look pretty, wanna join my committee Of root boy rebels, underground like the devil But I never prayed, just maintain eyes days from smoke And thoughts about the stages getting smoked Concentration on going for broke You know you can't cope with the roster with the fire in his eyes Yo, there ain't no surprise, I keep it live to survive the shit stump I can't get caught up as a victim But if I do, I go out licking Over the sticking Cause I'm about fed up as a fat boy It's time for I and I to make noise Step up yeah. Step up time, step up 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 Step up time
So now you know there's no need to stop elevating, penetrating the glass top. Hold on to manhood with all your life, cause some situations are bound to give strife. You won't get a harvest if you don't sow seeds. Ill gain wealth brings stress from dirty deeds. The choices that you make will fulfill your needs, but the shit you go through will be hard to believe. Yo, this shit's ridiculous, and I should know by now. Still, this particular flow gets me over somehow from selling krills in the streets What? to making fat beats. You're fucking with cheats to make your ends meet. Uh. The wrong move spells defeat, so wisdom is shown. Things I see versus the knowledge is known. I won't apologize for seeds I've sown. It's step up time, you on your own. So step up, step up time, step up, step up time, yeah, yeah. Step up time, step up, step up time, come on. Step up time, step up, step up time, step up, kid. Step up time, yeah, yeah. Now we out, I and I. Peace.